You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here this morning and uh, excited to be in the Word of God with you. And so uh, would you please, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. As we hear from God today, our, our only authority and uh, we hear directly from, um, from his word. Uh, that's how we hear from God. Many people say, hey, I really want to hear from God, and, and I think I've heard from him. Um, and my question is always, well, was the word opened when you said you heard from him, right? And uh, if you're trying to hear from him, are you opening the word? Because uh, it's not hard to hear from God. We just open his word, right? That's how he, that's how he speaks to us. As, as Christians. And so I pray that every, every day you're opening his word on a regular basis so that you're hearing the words of God. You don't want to hear the, your own words, your own thoughts, the thoughts of everyone else around you, which probably makes up about 90% of your life, <laughs> right? Um, what you hear uh, in various places. Uh, it would be impossible to live faithfully as a Christian without regularly, faithfully hearing from God in his word. You, you just can't do it. You just will live according to your own truth, to your friend's truth, to your, whatever you're thinking in your mind, to uh, the people around you. I mean, it, it just would be impossible. God has divine, divinely inspired this book. It's authoritative. It's without error. And uh, it's clear uh, in order to guide the Christian as to how we should live. And so, uh, so you got to make sure as a Christian you are following his word or else you, would, you need to ask, what am I following? What type of Christianity am I following? And uh, it might not be biblical Christianity, you know? So we gotta look at his word. Um, and you guys know that, but uh, the Lord, as we have made our way and are making our way through the book of Luke, has providentially given us each text for every week. Um, that's safe. We just move through the, the, through the book. And whatever he decides, that's what we get for the following week. And so we're gonna be uh, finishing up um, this section in Luke chapter 14. Uh, but before we look at this, um, let's recite our, our corporate memory verse. I don't know how many weeks we have left. I think two on this one, right? How many, what, how many weeks left we got in the month here? Anybody know? Two? Including this one? Okay. So we got two, and uh, so let's talk about this for just a moment. Um, can you say it out loud with me? Matthew 22, 37 through 40. You ready? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, as I mentioned last week, and as if you were here, um, I, I chose this memory verse for us this month. My family and I um, we memorized this on vacation a, a few weeks ago and have continued to just review it. Uh, and we've used that memory verse um, or just Bible memory uh, tactic that I taught on Sunday evening a few weeks ago. But this verse really has, has uh, gripped our family. And we talked about it last week. If you weren't here last week, you should, you should go back and listen, especially with, for the fact that this is going to be uh, the finishing of what we talked about last week when we get into Luke. So, you're, it's, you know, I'm going to help you review, but you got to be here every week in order to keep up with it. So you got to listen to last week. But also in regards to the memory verse, uh, we just talked about what's going on here in this context and what Jesus says, and particularly at the end here, he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, meaning this. He's telling the Pharisees that um, on loving God and loving others, hangs the rest 
of the law and, uh, and the prophets. If you're going to fulfill the Old Testament if Pharisees, if you're going to follow God, if you're going to be honoring to God, it de- it's dependent upon uh, loving God and loving others being the foundation of all your other obedience. And so we talked about this last week, that you, for you uh, as, as Christians, um, your obedience must be fueled by a love for God and love for others in Christ or else all of your other obedience is meaningless. It's, it's reminiscent of John chapter 15, where we stay connected to the vine. Apart from the vine, we can't produce any, any good fruit. Does this make sense? So this is what he's telling the Pharisees. But what I want to point out um, today is just these two middle sections, because I talked about the beginning and I talked about the end last week. Um, the, the, the first and the second commandment. You, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Some people want to separate those things, heart, soul, and mind. And you, and you can, you can differentiate on some of those aspects, but really what the, what the words of Jesus are meaning here is you love God with everything. Every, all your faculties, every facet, your whole heart. Uh, he, is, he takes precedence over everything, right? He is, uh, he is preeminent in, in every area of your life. Your decisions, your relationships, uh, everything that you do, he must be first. This is the great and first commandment that the Lord has given us. It's impossible for you to do this apart from Christ. That's why you need a regenerate heart. Um, but once Christ saves you and gives you a new, a new heart, um, this is the priority. God needs to be number one in your life. And you need to love him from the heart with all your heart. Uh, that's the motivation of, of why you live for Christ. And, uh, and so it's, it's with everything. It's, it's with all your heart. It's with all your soul. It's with all your mind. Every, everything in you, this is the goal of your life, right? Um, but I want to f- focus also on the second part. The second is like it. And uh, we talked in our family, what, why is it like it? What, what's, what's similar between the first and the second? What's, what's uh, the common you know, uh, the common aspect here, and it's love, right? So we understand how love is, is valued by God, most importantly. Love the Lord and love others, right? The second is like the first because it incorporates the aspect of love. And what does he say? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we could spend a lot of time on this, but I think about how most of us, and I don't know if, you know, if this is true of you, but, but for you, Think about how your day works from the second that you wake up to the second that you go to bed. Most of it revolves around probably you figuring out what you need to do next, how you need to care for yourself next, how you need to take care of yourself next. I gotta wake up, I gotta brush my teeth. I hope you do that. I gotta, I gotta get some food. You know, I gotta, I gotta get dressed. I gotta think about where I need to go next. Oh, you know, the kids need something. Let me get that out of the way so I can... And your whole day revolves around you. And then let me get them to bed at, at night so that I can. And so the, the goal is most of the time the driving force is let me take care of myself, right? And how can my life um, serve, serve my needs? And what would it look like if you woke up every day and thought to yourself, my goal now is to uh, serve others this day from the beginning to the end, through the finish line, at the end of the day, is loving my neighbor as myself would mean, if I'm thinking about my, my needs, what I need, it would be to spend my day thinking about others' needs, what they need, how I can serve them, and I'll consider it a successful day if I come home and I've served everybody else's, everybody else's needs. And so this is, this is the call as Christians, is that we are progressively putting ourselves last putting God first, and putting others before us. This is just the story of the Christian life. And, uh, and your sanctification, you can measure it based upon those aspects. You know, you can measure where you are in the sanctification process through, through you loving God with all your heart, with everything in you, you progressively putting yourself last and others first, and God first. Um, and on the immature side of the spectrum, um, you would be first most of the time. Your needs, um, what the world tells you, what your job needs, uh, all the demands on your life, etc. 
uh, on the mature end of the spectrum would be God is, uh, is preeminent in my life, and I'm also uh, last, and others are first uh, most of the time. So this is the way that we can move forward in this. And so this verse, very, very important. Now, as we move on to our text, let's read um, uh, and, and uh, look at the, the text that the Lord has given us for today as we make our way verse by verse through the book of Luke. Um, chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. 14, 15 through 24. We'll give a little bit of review, and if you weren't here last week, we're picking up in point two, but I'm going to catch you up just briefly um, and tell you what's going on. So, here we go. Chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, I'm catching you up with a brief recap if you weren't here, but I, I really do encourage you to go back and listen. Um, you, you need to be here every week in order for me not to have to catch you up. Every week. I'm assuming because we're preaching to our, my church, my people, that you're here every week. That's, my, that's, my, that's the presupposition. That's my assumption. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just catch you up for a little bit of, uh, of just reminder since it's been a week. Um, we've seen how Jesus has shown a pattern in the, in the past little bit of these chapters. Uh, from 13 on into 14. Jesus is calling them to... Repent, believe in the Christ, or perish. We see a lamentation and a judgment from him because people are rejecting this Christ. And we see Jesus show what it is that is hindering them from coming to salvation. So again, a call, this rejection, Jesus is lamenting and, judge, and, producing, and, and uh, providing judgment upon them for rejecting him. And then he's showing proof as to what it is that's causing them to reject the Christ. We've seen this pattern over and over again, and here we sit in this pattern again, and as chapter 14 starts, um, we see all these hindrances to salvation. That's why the, the, the series really, this is kind of part three of this, really should be maybe part four or five, um, but, uh, but I was uh, not preaching, and so we just, you know, it, it wasn't as um, cohesive in terms of just exposing the... the um, you know, exposing it in a cohesive way, but, but we're looking at hindrances to, sal to true salvation, and it really starts in chapter 14, and we see a few things that so far that have hindered them, and it's been hypocrisy, um, there's been a lack of humility, there's been an undervaluing of heavenly reward, okay? And uh, you can see these here, but that, I I've just shown you the patterns over the past couple weeks, I'm not gonna recap all of that, but this is what's keeping them, this hypocrisy, and that's seen in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 14. 
We've seen this lack of humility, this pride that's keeping the Pharisees from salvation in 7 through 11. And we've seen this undervaluing of heavenly, uh, heavenly reward in, chapter, in verses 12 through 14, meaning this, they want earthly reward more than they want heavenly reward, right? And, uh, and so we, we've dove into all of that, and uh, we don't have time to do it today, but I w- again, I would encourage you to even go back and listen for the past maybe six or seven weeks, even w- before I, I started part one of this. Uh, I think Josh preached, uh, Tanner preached. So with all this being said, we now find ourselves in this last hindrance, which I've called um, heedless unbelief. And what I mean by this is, is really if you just take those words and, and pick it apart here, heedless means to, to not be correct, not able to be corrected. You, you, you don't want to look for the truth or know the truth. And unbelief, meaning I don't believe he's the Christ. So I, I don't believe he's the Christ. Myself is the priority of my life, and I refuse to be corrected, right? Now, with this, um, we, have, we moved into our first point, which was uh, the preparation and the call. This was last week in verses 15 through 17 of our, of our text. Just kind of reviewing a lot and showing you this last point before we kind of move on from where we were, okay? So verses 15 through 17, it says this. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet, invited many, and at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now you might look at that and say, Okay, Jesus is talking about a banquet. He's talking about someone who invited some people. They didn't come, um, or they pre-invited him, and then they told him it's ready. What, what's going on here? This is all about salvation. This, that whole section, this whole section that I've been referring to, chapter 13 all the way to here. This is all about salvation. And the image here, what Jesus is telling the Pharisees, he's, he's showing them their rejection. Now, what do, what do we mean in these verses? Well, um, Jesus is speaking of to put it frankly, that the prophets of the Old Testament had told of a time when the Messiah would come. The Jews said they were looking for this Messiah, waiting for this Messiah, waiting to be saved, waiting for him to come, that they would believe in him and be saved. They were invited. Um, They weren't told a time or, you know, or a location in a sense exactly or or a place, but they were told that the Messiah would come and they were expecting this, but then Um, He comes and God sends his servants, whether it be John the Baptist, Christ himself, or the apostles to say, come now, the kingdom is at hand, everything is now ready. And now from here, we're going to see what their response is to that. So again, showing this this rejection of of the Christ and what is actually causing them to reject the Christ. Um, This is how the, he's using this image because this is how weddings would work, right? You would, you would give a, hey, we're going to have a wedding. The bride and the groom would make themselves ready. I, I explained all these images last week, and you should really go back and hear it. But everyone should be ready. The guests should be ready. The bride is making herself ready, and the groom is preparing a place. And I explained all of that last week. And when the time comes for the wedding, could be the same day, could be the night before, to say, hey, you know how you were, you were invited? Well, it's going to be tonight. Or it's going to be tomorrow, and then you would, you would come. And the image here is clear. The, the, they were foretold by the prophets that the Christ would come and it would reconcile them to God, that they would, he would come and, and forgive their sins. And now he's here, and, uh, and he's ready to establish his kingdom, and, and we see how they respond. Um, this is what John the Baptist, I showed you in Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist was, was called to be the, the forerunner here, to prepare the hearts of the people, saying the Christ is here, right? So let me put this in your world for a second before we move on to point number two. We've, see, we, we, we've looked at this call, right, to them, and now we're gonna see their response. But let me explain, let me put this in your world for just a second. Um, Christ 
is calling all of you to repentance and faith and really to, to a life that is committed to him, to loving him with all of his heart, to obedience, to following his word, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's in our midst. And, uh, and what I'm praying for you is that there wouldn't be excuses, there wouldn't be a heedlessness about your life, there wouldn't be a priority of self, we're gonna see how silly this is, um, but that you, would, that you would respond to Christ and that you would follow his call and that you would come on his terms, okay? So let's, let's move now from the preparation and the call Israel was prepared with the message. They were called. Now the kingdom of God is at hand. Now we're looking at front and center at the Pharisees' rejection, what's hindering them from true salvation. And number two, so this is number two, the priorities and the rejection. The priorities and the rejection in verses 18 through 20, okay? Ready? Let me read it. But they all alike began to make excuses. Remember, time for the banquet's here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Christ has come. It's the time of his visitation, the Bible describes. Come, everything's now ready. He's here. This is the Messiah. Don't you see all the fulfillments of all the prophecies? But, again, verse 18, listen now. They all alike began to make excuses. This is what Jesus is saying here. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said to him, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So, we see now in these verses, chapter 18 begins with the word but. Again, remember how important that was in verse 16. The man said, blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. Right, he's speaking of himself, thinking Jesus is talking about salvation, and he's going to be in it. But, Jesus said, on the contrary to what he's saying, he is, he is telling the man that he is, he's not assessing the situation rightly. Here, verse 18, we see that there was an invitation, but, so they're not going to accept this invitation. We can see that right off the bat. So through the initial invitation and the foretelling that was given by the prophets, although John the Baptist, Jesus himself, the apostles, although, listen now, listen, the gospel's clear, you can have eternal life, the Christ has come, right? Right? The need to see your sin, to repent, to believe in Jesus as the Christ, to offer forgiveness for, you know, to, to those who are sinners, which is everyone for salvation. The need to respond with repentance and faith. It's all been made clear. Everyone's, everything's been made ready. But the servants come with the message. And he, Jesus is speaking directly about the apostles, about Christ, about John the Baptist. But... So now we see the rejection, and the rest of the time is explaining this rejection. They all alike began to make excuses. Look at this. All alike. They're not very different from each other, all their excuses. They may have different flavors. They might have different spices to them, but they're not very different. They all, have the, they all find themselves having the same root, which is unbelief. Right? They're, all, they're alike. A lot, of, a lot of it, you might say, a lot of different people want to reject Jesus for, for many different reasons in, in my life, my neighbors, my family, etc. But can I tell you, they're, not, they're, they're all alike. It's all rooted in unbelief and sin. And so this word, let me just tell you here, this word, excuses, in verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. It literally means in the Greek to beg off. 
right? That might sound strange, but that's what it means, to beg off. They all began alike to beg off, meaning this. Listen, stay with me. This is very peculiar, very strange, right? It's to beg off as almost if you're frantically begging not to come, Right? Like, think about this. They're begging like they were going to be tortured if they were to come to give up the world. Right? It's a frantic, please, I'm begging not to come. They were prepared, they were called, and now they're begging off. Meaning, they, they were, they're begging that they won't have to give up their life. And themselves. Jesus' call to the people, the prophets' call, the apostles' call, Christ's call for salvation, what it's going to be requiring of them, and they're begging not to come. Like a parent dragging a, a child to their room. They're saying, please, don't let me have to give up my ventures, my interests, my relationships, my possessions. I don't want to come. This is what this word connotes. This is very scary. It shows the power of sin. It really shows the power of sin. It shows, we see this initial invitation, this call, and yet the worldly, sinful, temporary, yet controlling, powerful, enslaving, blinding, darkening, hindering, all, the scripture uses all these words, priorities, are causing them to be frantic if they would have to give these things up, even if it's for salvation through God's Christ. And this is what's preventing them from experiencing true salvation. They're unwilling to be corrected. They're unwilling to give up their sin. There is a heedlessness about their life because it is rooted in unbelief. If you really believe that he's the Christ, if you really believe you need forgiveness of sin, if you really believe that you will be apart from God forever in a place called hell, unless you trust in this Christ, then you would be willing to be corrected, to repent, and to believe, to trust in him, to follow him, and instead they're frantic about giving up this world. Now, let me just tell you, this is so so relevant. If you were to really call someone to salvation, they were to understand this. Most of the world is too enslaved to their taste buds of sin and would be just as frantic to give up, you know, fill in the blank, sin. There's such deep idolatry, there's such deep dependence, there's such deep love for this world that there's a franticism about giving up their sin for Christ. And this is what's happening here. What's true doesn't matter. This is why I say there is a heedlessness here. It doesn't matter what's true. I just don't want it because it will cause, it will require death to self. I don't care what's true. I want, I want the cravings of, of the flesh. This is what you're dealing with, believer. I'm called here to equip the saints, right? That means I, I equip you, church, to minister to each other, and the body gets built up and to reach the lost world and to become holy yourself. Those are the three aspects, right? As we talked last week, your main job after you come to know Christ, the main purpose of your life after becoming a Christian is to become holy. The bride making herself pure in order to meet the bridegroom, right? But then it's also to be equipped, Ephesians 4, so that you minister to each other and then the as you minister to each other, the body gets built up. So if you're not ministering to other people in the church, you are, um, 
the body is not being built up as it should be, and then also thirdly to reach the lost world. So now, why, I'm telling you that to say you have to understand this is what you're dealing with now as you deal with the world. There is a franticism because of the love of sin. Don't call it anything else. That's it. Right? Now, in verses 18b through 20, we see, after we see, but they all like began to make excuses. He gives us three examples. Okay? The first two have to deal with possessions. And the last one has to deal with relationships. And that's really the two categories that hinder salvation, the material and the immaterial, right? Possessions and relationships. So the second, um, I want you to notice that, that, that pattern. I want you to also notice a second pattern is the order of this progression, okay? Now stay with me. It seems to go from the most insignificant or the dumbest excuse to the most plausible excuse in a worldly sense, right? But they are, what Jesus is saying here is they're all alike illegitimate excuses. It doesn't matter. None of these excuses are going to hold in the day of judgment. Okay, so... It seems to go, there seems to be a pattern here, a progression. Um, they're all alike. All the excuses are alike. They all begin to make excuses. Two deal with possessions. One deals with relationships. Those are the two categories that seem to prevent salvation. And it seems to go from the most insignificant in our mind, almost laughable, to the, what would seem to be have the most legitimacy in this world. And what Jesus is doing is, knocking the legs out from underneath all of them, saying, you can think of any excuse you want. They're all illegitimate, right? So they're all illegitimate for denying, believing in the Christ and who is the Lord of heaven and earth and creator of, of all things and has provided salvation, repenting and trusting in him and, and living um, under his lordship. There's no excuse that, that stands, so they're all worldly priorities, unbelief, failure to care about or respond to God's Christ, to agree with God about the truth. It doesn't matter. We see first this excuse about a field, verse 18. They all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I know you're calling me. You've told me about the Christ. You've repaired. You sent your servants. The kingdom of is at hand, but I must go out and see it. Right? P land. Dirt. Worms. Grass. A big open space. A man says, I must go out and see it. Please have me excused from salvation. Let me go out and see this. I'm just probably pull up in my pickup and I'm going to stand and I'm going to look at this field that I bought. <laughs> I mean, that is so silly. And that is the, the truth about the rejection of Christ in the world we live in now. I would come to Christ, but I need to fix up my house. I need... To, to, to get a few more trinkets. I, I gotta make sure that I'm looking good on Instagram so everybody in the community thinks highly of me. I gotta get my you know, workout body that I've been, that will impress everybody around me. You know? I, I, I have to do these things as my priority, as my first priority. This is the priority of my life. And think about how insane that sounds when you think about the temporary nature of this life and about eternity and about the truth of God and about Christ. This is what hinders the world from coming to Christ. The next is another possession, and it might be a little bit more understandable in the 
sense that at least it's a life form, right? You might say, well, the ox could be dying or need some food. Still illegitimate. They all alike began to make excuses. They're all alike. All the excuses are alike. They're all rooted in unbelief and heedlessness to the truth and the priority of self, sin. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Right? Still illegitimate. I bought five yoke of oxen. I mean, think about this. They're out there. I bought them. I got to bring them home. I got to make sure that, I don't know what you do, what you make sure with oxen. <laughs> right? We got to make sure that they, they got enough feed. I mean, what else you got to see? To deny salvation? What you going to do after that for an hour? I mean, and then you're going to go home and think about the fact that you denied salvation because of oxen. You know, I mean, you got, that doesn't make any sense. But this is what prevents the world. It's, it's, it's from coming to Christ. It's the priority of self in this world and all the excuses are so silly. And the last would seem to be the most legitimate. Right? Stay with me. I have married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. We don't know much about this. Maybe the wife said no, right? Maybe, uh, maybe she's got a lot of needs. Maybe there's, high you know, there's some high maintenance stuff going on here. Right? Maybe I just... I idolize my wife and I don't want to give up this life at all in order to have Christ, all of them illegitimate. Jesus is going to actually speak about this, right? In verse 26, look down just a little bit. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, and what? Wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's saying, if you're going to come after me, I must be preeminent because you believe in who I am, you believe in what I offer, and there ain't no way you're giving that up for anything of this world. Right? You're still called to, to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and we can go on about that, and we will one day when we get to it in Ephesians. But I mean it. I mean, we'll get, we'll get there sometime. Might take 20 years, right, to get to another book and get to Ephesians 5, but we'll get to it. So, Jesus is going to exclude all of these excuses as, as being legitimate. Either way, material, listen, relational, from the silliest to what would seem like the most legitimate. All of it's illegitimate, all of it's rejection, all of it's refusal of the invitation, all of it is evidence of true unbelief. All of it is worldly priorities. All of it is refusal to be corrected. All of it, all of it is, is a, not a desire to know what's true, but a desire for self. All of it is rooted in unbelief. All of it is a lo love for the world. All of it is a love for sin. And, uh, and all of it is what is preventing these Pharisees and the world from coming, from coming to Christ. Right? There is, there is a lack of... A lack of, there's a hypocrisy, a lack of humility. There's a, a undervaluing of heavenly reward. And there's this heedless unbelief. So they're all alike. Matters not their content. They're short-sighted. And their sin is preventing true salvation. Can I just encourage you? Please, don't make these excuses. Please, don't prioritize this world. It doesn't make any sense. And it's really silly. And if you do that, it's clear that you don't believe this book or this message or this Christ because you would never believe the contents of this and, and have those excuses. Also know that this is what is preventing the world. There is a franticism to give up self and sin. And you gotta pray for God to do 
the salvific work in the hearts of people. You got to pray. Only by the work of the Spirit will people see their sin, desire to know God, desire to give up self in order to have eternal life. So we've seen, we've seen the, uh, the preparation and the call. We've seen the priorities and the rejection. And now finally we see the penalty and the judgment. We don't have much left here. So, so we've seen all these excuses. Now verse 21 to 24. Let's read it. So that's a key word again. It helps us to understand the progression of this text. Here's the result. Right? It's easy to separate these headings, these points, how I've done them, because you look at some of these, these uh, transitional words here. So, verse 21, the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets, the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room and the master said to the servant go out to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled for I tell you none of these men who were invited shall taste of my banquet stay with me okay let's finish this thing out strong so the servant that's Christ okay came and reported these things. We see almost like a similar interaction happening in the parable of the barren fig tree with the father and the son having dialogue. The son saying, let's chop down this tree. The father says, let's wait a little bit longer. And, uh, and then if there's no fruit, then we'll chop it down. This is like a dialogue between the father and the son again. Right? The master of the house. Look at verse 21. So the servant came, reported these things to the master. I mean, really, I think... It's almost as if he's referring back. Go just flip back to chapter 13, verse six, verses 6 through 9, right? He told this parable, a man had a fig tree in his vineyard, that's Israel, came seeking fruit on it, repentance and faith, the kingdom, found none, they rejected him. He said to the vine dresser, who is, according to John 15, is who? Father, look, for three years now, Who's that? Christ. I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, Israel, and I had found what? None. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Let's, there, there's a rejection here, a judgment. It's, I mean, it's, it's almost parallel. That's why I've tried so hard to show you this, this uh, structure. And he answered him. This is the father now speaking. Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig it dig around it, and put manure. We're going to just try to work the soil of people's hearts. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. There's judgment there. So this is what's, this is what's happening. Verse 21, the servant came, reported these things to the master. The master is the father, right? And uh, Christ is the servant. And uh, then it says, the master of the house became what? Angry, wrathful. There's judgment now on Israel, especially the Pharisees and those who have rejected the Christ. Stay with me, okay? And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the city, right? He says, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of what? Of the city. Now, what's the city they're referring to? It's Jerusalem. This is a picture of the judgment and the rejection of the religious leaders in Israel, the Pharisees especially, the religious rulers of Judaism, those who would hear directly from the prophets, those who said they were in the line of Abraham. This rejection of those who thought they were righteous by keeping the law of God being descendants of Abraham, interpreting rightly the words of the prophets who they killed. This is an indictment on them, and it's an offer of salvation by God to the sinners in Israel. Now listen, those inside the city, this is important, the streets, the lanes of the city. This is speaking of the remnant of Israel. Now, can I just tell you, I want you to notice this. Okay, He's saying those who are in the streets, the poor, the lame, the blind, the sick, let's go invite them which would be unexpected. Now stay with me, okay? Because 
I want to be careful here. I want to give you a brief note theologically. I want us to be careful here. When Jesus, uh, Mark 2 says this, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Many people hear these verses and say, see, I mean, we need a church just full of people who are not very spiritually mature. He didn't come to call the righteous. Can I tell you that that breaks down. That doesn't even make any logical sense. The Bible calls you to holiness, maturity, understanding, knowledge, depth, growth. What is Jesus saying when he speaks like this? Right? It's not an excuse to stay immature as a believer. And it's not the fact that we, don't, we can't have any people who have their lives semi-together become Christians. What does he mean by this? When we hear this, we must understand what Jesus is saying here because just leave that verse on the screen. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What does Romans chapter three tell us? There are how many righteous? So everybody's a sinner. Everybody's unrighteous. Everybody needs a physician. Everybody's sick. So what does Jesus mean by that? It's to those who understand it, who believe that, who agree with God about that, who realize it. That's who he's come to call. Everybody's sick. It's not that they're actually righteous. It's that they think they are. So he's called those who come to, have come to the realization of their sin and agree with God about, about their sin. That's what he's speaking of, those who know their sinfulness. And this is who he's calling now in Israel. Those who are not banking on the fact that they keep the law. Those who have expected the Christ, understand he's here, agree with God about their need for salvation, which the religious leaders don't, and now who will trust in the Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. This is those who know their sinfulness. And can I also tell you this? I think that it's not the spiritually, oftentimes the spiritual, spiritually immature will take a verse like this in Mark and use it as an excuse not to grow or for a church not to grow up in the faith, right? That I think that this is the exact opposite. This verse would point to a church that's growing and maturing. Why? Because a true church that's growing and maturing understands, talks often about, is almost a little bit obsessed with their own sinfulness. Like David, who wrote all these psalms about his own sinfulness, it's not because he was immature that he wrote that. It's because he was mature. He understood his, his sinful state and God's holiness. A church that's constantly talking about sin, some people come in here sometimes and say, you guys talk a lot about sin. Absolutely. Because we realize the gap. And we understand the gospel. And we realize what Christ has done. You should be often confessing your sins to God. Right? So, true salvation is coming for those who agree with God about their sin. That's who he's come to save. And that's who he's going out in this parable to get. Right? The remnant of Israel, the people who don't think that they're part of the pharisaical, religious, you know, elite, but those who think, I've fallen short to keep the law. That's who he's going to go out and invite, which should be a great encouragement to those who have come to that place. And honestly, for those who are making excuses, like, what a great invitation. Just accept your own sinfulness and trust in Christ for your forgiveness. What an awesome invitation. So, here, it's not simply the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame that he's calling, but it's sinners, people who realize their sinfulness. And I want you to notice this progression here. We move from crippled or poor to crippled, to blind, to lame. I think there's a progression there too. From 
the least needy to the most. I think if you were to move in that direction, and this isn't, you know, I don't mean to offend anything or anybody, but I think I would rather be poor than crippled, rather be crippled than blind, and rather blind than lame. Right? It seems to be a progression. That Jesus' call now is to those who are sinners from, it doesn't matter how sinful you are, how needy you are, Christ can forgive your sins and call you to salvation. So the remnant of Israel, and then uh, we've got about 10 minutes. We're almost done here. Verse 22, we see then, the servant comes back and says, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. What a gracious God, huh? We've, we've called the sinners of Israel. There's still, there's still room now because of the rejection. You can move to Romans about the grafting in of the Gentiles, and that's what's being spoke of here, right? Because what he responds next to then is, And the master said to the servant, Go out now to the highways beyond the city, out of the city, the hedges, people living in bushes, and compel people to come in because here's what I want. I want my house to be filled. I want my house to be filled with people who have come to terms with their own sin and have embraced the Christ for true salvation. Let's go out. After leaving out the Pharisees, after saving the remnant of Israel, this is a gracious call of God to the Gentiles. The call of the gospel to go to all the nations, as Matthew says. To all creation. The gospel to be preached to all creation, as Mark says. To every tribe, every tongue, every people, every language. As Acts 1.8 says, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to where? The ends of the earth. This is this call now. The penalty for the leaders of Israel and their rejection of Christ is to be left out, to be judged, to suffer God's wrath. And through this, God saves the remnant of Israel and the gospel goes to the Gentiles. Right? Which we will see Paul being sent to as we move from Luke progressively in, into Acts if you're reading, if, you, if you'll read it. So this is the gracious call. This is the righteous judgment of God and then the gracious call to bring in the Gentiles. But I want you to notice here, he says, to those who are on the highways, that's outside the city, the hedges, and notice this, ready? They will have to be compelled Compel them. They're going to realize their sinfulness. They're going to understand, especially here in this context, they're outside of Israel. They're another nation. They will be aware of their sinfulness. They will be far away. They're going to be hard to get to. They're going to know their unworthiness, God's holiness, the Messiah's invitation, and that they are outside. So they're going to have to be implored or convinced or persuaded. So what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and, <coughs> and then <coughs> entrusting to us, excuse me, I got excited here, <coughs> the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We what? Implore you. We compel you. We beg you on behalf of Christ Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Or what's 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11, just a little bit earlier from the one I just read. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing this, that there's a judgment, we're all gonna have to give an account, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing judgment, knowing heaven, knowing the, the truth of Christ, the truth of our sinfulness. What do we do with this? We persuade others. Come. You don't got anywhere else to be or anything else to do. Right? Even today I think about this. On Sunday mornings, like, you don't got anywhere else to be right now. Stop your mind from going anywhere. You don't have anywhere else that's more important than from hearing the words of this text for just a little while. One hour out of all the hours of your week. That you're hearing so many other things and 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 and, and uh, giving yourself to so many other ventures, there's, there's no excuse that's legitimate for you wanting to move away from this text right now. Stop. Come, come. It's like I'm imploring. I think about this for Sundays. Just implore you, come. Trust in Christ and follow Christ. Love him with all your heart. This is what the Bible speaks of when it speaks of evangelism. The Gentiles will be evangelized to come to the great banquet. This is what he's saying. That his house may be filled. Verse 24. We're done. Those, says this, for I tell you, there's another important word. Here's, Here's now, a, there's a bit of a transition here, and I'm going to show it to you. Verse 24. I, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. He's speaking of the original men. This is why there's the remnant let in. This is why the Gentiles are let in, because none of the men who were originally invited will taste of, of the banquet. This is judgment on those who, who heard the words of the prophets, who heard the words of the servants, and who rejected the Christ. But I want you to notice something. Notice how now this switches from second and third person, which was the, really the entire duration of this parable, to the first person. Now Jesus is making clear, I am talking about salvation, myself as the Christ. He says... He's telling them directly. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of what? My banquet. He's speaking of salvation. He's speaking of himself as the Christ. He's speaking of the invitation that came to Israel. He's speaking of the rejection. He's speaking of the excuses, the priorities, the heedlessness, the unbelief. He's exposing to them what has stopped them and hindered them from coming to salvation. And now he's showing clearly that what he's meaning here is regarding salvation and, and the way being through him. He's not telling a, a story for, for any other meaning. Now they understand this is his salvation this is the prophet's invitation. This is the visitation. This is the servant's invitation. And this is their unbelief. And the salvation for sinners of Israel, the grafting in of the Gentiles, and the judgment that they will face for their rejection and for their excuses. So this should encourage you in the sense that if you have received this invitation, and have come to the banquet, no matter how far you are, how much sin you have, there's forgiveness. He's merciful. He wants his house to be filled. But it should be very um, scary, right, when you think about the anger and the wrath of God for those who make worldly excuses and give up this offer. There will be anger and there will be wrath and then 
you won't taste of his banquet. It ends on judgment. And he's going to move right into verse 25, which is, you really want to follow me? Here's what it's going to cost. So Jesus is exposing the sin that's hindered these Pharisees for salvation. And I pray that the rejection of Christ wouldn't be your story. I pray that as the invitation comes, whether for salvation or for true sanctification, that you would receive that invitation, you would come. Don't make excuses. And to understand also, this is what is hindering the world from responding to this Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask you to just allow the truth of this word to sink into our minds and hearts. Help us not to think we have any legitimate excuse for rejecting you. God, help us to see your mercy and your call for us to recognize our own sinfulness and our own need to come to the banquet and to feast with you, to hear your word, to follow your word, to trust in you, to give you our lives, that we might be with you. Help our hearts to break for those who have rejected your banquet, your kingdom, and help us to go out and compel those who are in our world to come. We pray by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.